Good evening, wherever you might be, and thanks for clicking on the Just Like the Movies podcast. We're we're really looking forward to a, a breezy, a little more, a little fun, lighter. John, you're partied out, man. Again. You get you get in the wife's white claws or something? Uh I don't know. You gave me a Dixie cup and you said if you're gonna spew, <laughs> spew in this. <laughs> well Let wait. me go. <laughs> Let me go. What movie are we doing, man? We are we are do- if if those references didn't give it away to our listeners, our intrepid listeners, we are listening. We are doing uh, Wayne's World uh, from my prescription from last uh, from the last time. Wanted to do something to kind of break up the uh, the action, crime, drama, dinosaur eating type of things, and and this movie i don't know it was like one of the first ones that popped into my head i felt like it would be a great palate cleanser and um excellent and, <laughs> so i you know a fun place to always start is uh, just kind of uh the nostalgia angle like what was uh i know sometimes i feel like we kind of ambush each other with questions because we don't really we try to come in a little fresh not rehearse anything but um I mean, do you have like, do you have a story with when you first saw this movie? I know your Roger Rabbit one was very, very detailed. Yeah, some some are more detailed than others for sure. Yeah. Um, my Ghostbusters one, um, but yeah, Wayne's World. I believe the first time I saw it was at um, a sleepover, and you know when you're like ten years old and stuff, that's when you start doing those. Mm-hmm. When you go to like friends' houses and stuff, and the parents take you to the video store and you all decide what you're going to rent or whatever and you know wayne's world was very popular for kids during that time and i think it probably hit video in late 92 early 93 whatever it was so i was probably around 10 years old and then i remember watching it just yeah at a sleepover with a group of friends at the time when i was still living on long island um and i remember just you know loving it and you know uh not necessarily getting it completely but you know wrapping my head around the fun of it and a part of that has always kind of stuck with me. And I remember seeing I, one thing I'll never forget. I remember seeing uh, Ed O'Neill popping up because my because <laughs> my as I've said on the podcast before, I, my parents didn't let me watch Married with Children. Ooh. So all all the other kids were like kind of like laughing, and they were like you know I'm like making jokes you know about uh, Married with Children stuff, and I had to be like yeah totally. <laughs> Did you know Ed O'Neill is a uh, jujitsu a black belt in Brazilian jujitsu? I don't, but now. I'm very happy that I know that. Now. And he was practicing even he was I think he started practicing even before people really knew about it. It might have been like around the time UFC 1 came. He he he's a black he's been training for I think 30 or 35 years. Oh my god, cuz he always plays the, like the loser. So it'd be, it'd be funny just to watch him like just beat people's asses. <laughs> well, on, on Married with Children, he was always beating people's asses. That's what was so funny, but he was always getting in fights and the family was always getting in fights, but anyway. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so so sleepover for you then. Yeah, how about how about yourself? What's what's the Mike Pateo entry to Wayne's World? Actually, or did you or, and did you watch SNL? That's another question. Oh, okay. You know? Um well, no, I didn't, but my older brother was a really big Saturday Live fan. And um it even he we even before I saw the movie, my brother had the extreme close up book, which was a book they released in concert with the movie's release and it, it was kind of funny because it had so many of the jokes in there so it's like you you read it and then you would see like some of the bits from the movie where they were where oh, they're wow. riffing and they're talking about like if she was a president she'd be Abraham Lincoln <laughs> you know that kind of thing and then um so 
I had seen that, and then the, when we were kids, there was this move. I don't want to get too long in the weeds here or too long winded, but there was a second run theater, and the tickets were a dollar. Yeah, and um, yeah, we had that too. Yeah, and it was uh, it was about twenty twenty five minutes away from our town, but my parents loved it because it was actually a really nice theater. Like it wasn't run down or anything, and it had a big arcade and a full snack bar, which. For that time, the early 90s, that that place was way ahead of its time. So sometimes we'd go see movies as a family. Sometimes we would go, my parents would kind of let us do our own thing. And then we would just meet in, the, meet in the arcade or in the lobby or something. And then sometimes if my parents wanted to like get stuff done, they would just drop the three of us off at the plaza. My brother would kind of be responsible for us. And then we would just kind of watch different movies or we would like sometimes all go to the same movie. And then if they were running late or whatever, we would like just play ga- video games in the arcade. We didn't care. It was a great time. Um, but I saw Wayne's World by myself at this theater. And it was like one, I think it was the first time I ever saw a movie alone. And um, I just wow. remember, and I thought I was like, you know, you're doing all the little kid stuff. Like you think it's fun to like sit in the front row when it really isn't. Um, right. And, <laughs> and like, you're, you're just laughing your head off at all the bits. But uh, yeah, that was my that was my Wayne's World story. I, I really enjoyed. I mean, I remember laughing at just almost everything that came out of Mike Myers or Dana Carvey's mouth. And then yeah. you get older and then you start to like, you start to, you know, pay attention to some of the more sophisticated jokes and things like that cuz one of the th- one of the things about this movie while uh, rewatching it was I mean I I really enjoyed rewatching it how about you I loved it yeah, yeah it was I it was I loved it so much that I immediately went right into Wayne's World 2 oh, and did? watched them <laughs> that's strong. I, yeah, strong yeah I watched them both cuz you know they're not too long of movies mm-hmm. and it was right there in the queue and I was like it was late cuz I always watch it late cuz the kids are in bed and I'm just like Fuck it, let's do it. Let's party again. <laughs> and Wayne's World too was was great. It was, I don't know if it was great, but it was it was very good in its own right. And like, I, how does Chris Farley not win a supporting Oscar for for his role in Wayne's World too? Just I mean, Wayne's World one, he was good. He took it to another level in Wayne's World too. Yeah, for sure, for sure. I, I, I'll have to rewatch that one too because that that's a strong move. I did not do that, but I. I have a feeling, too, that it was similar for you. I hadn't seen this movie in a while. I mean, I watched a ton when I was a kid. and um, Yeah, same but, here. Yeah. It's been, I, I couldn't pinpoint an amount of years. Because um, I can't recall it floating around much on TV either. Um, maybe Comedy Central or something had it. But I would say at, at least 10 years, probably maybe more. Yeah. Yeah, I think so too. But it's like it's just funny how many of those bits have endured. And like one of the things that uh, kind of stuck out to me was the fact that everybody, because everybody's such a big fan of The Office, like everybody loves The Office. Yeah, and they forgot that they got that's what she said from this movie. Like everybody forgot about Wayne's World. That just goes to show you kind of how you know time moves That's on. That's a great point, man. Like when yeah. t- like with Tina Fey on Thirty Rock, like chided somebody for using "That's What She Said." She's like, "You can't use that's what she said." Steve Carell owns "That's What She Said," and it's like that came out. But that was like a Wayne's World bit, and, right? And it's it's just kind of funny how people have kind of forgotten about it. And uh, um, as far as this movie goes, I mean. Uh, I don't know. I like to I like to get into the production history. You read into that at all, or? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I found it. Uh, I I found an interview um, with a Canadian 
news station with Mike Myers in 92. Mm-hmm. And it was about a five-minute spot. And he was talking about, um, you know, what he based it on and where the you know the premise of Wayne's World came from. And it was his, his suburb that he grew up in in Toronto. Um, but that uh, they shot it in mostly L.A. and did, I believe, some uh like drive-by scenes in aurora or around the suburbs of chicago but they didn't do any filming in in chicago nor the suburbs of of chicago takes place there but he modeled i guess he what he understood was the demographic of aurora illinois which he liked just the sound of that town Mm -hmm. matched it reminded him a lot of where he grew up in toronto scarborough Um, yeah yeah, so I think that's where the, the the that aspect of that is. But I mean, there was a lot of drama, I guess, on regarding the production of this. Of yeah, this movie. there was. a lot of it was rooted from its its creative star. <laughs> well, I I think part of it, and uh, you know, you could feel free to expound on that too. But I I think I think a lot of it had to do with the fact that everything about this movie was about speed. It was a thirty four day shoot. They were trying to get it in before Dana. Dana Carvey and Mike Myers had to go back to Saturday Night Live, and the of actually the reason they hired Penelope Spheris, who is actually now you know she's with this movie, and then she did a few few other comedies after that, and she you know she's actually known for some documentary work too. She's quite an accomplished filmmaker, right. and the, but the reason they hired her was because it was for two reasons: because she works fast, and because she did this. Um, she did a film called Suburbia, and she did another documentary called, I think, The Decline of Western Civilization, and they, they thought that she knew metalheads. And since Wayne and, and I didn't really think of Wayne and Garth like that, but since they hang out at that metal bar all the time, and they yeah. it, it, it makes sense. But um, yeah. I think Wayne's first appearance was before SNL, and he, he played a, this Wayne Campbell character on some sort of you know low-budget... Uh, there might be a clip online somewhere, uh, 1987, mm-hmm. about some metal like the show or something. Okay. And that's where he like came up with Wayne, and he based Wayne on other kids he used to hang out with. Uh, and he said he was more of the Garth type of that group of friends where they would go to do things like throwing snowballs at cars, and he would tell people like, guys, I don't know if we should be doing that. And they're like, Myers, why are you hanging out with us? <laughs> I, I didn't so know he, that's really clever. He, it's almost like he lived vicariously through Wayne to live up to what he wanted to be with those other kids. It's really interesting mm. that way. Yeah, and and the set, and you mentioned that there was like it wasn't you know the, the movie came in. I don't think it went over budget. I don't think it you know it stuck to the schedule. But there was a lot of uh, a lot of tension on the set because creative wise, yeah, yeah. My, like because uh, one of the things I read was that. Um, you know Penelope Spheris, like I mentioned, her whole like her whole gimmick is she likes to work fast, and they they did improvise. But she said, "Yeah, if you could do it in twenty six seconds, I'll shoot it." But they right. had to, they had to do every scene three ways. They had to do it the way Mike Myers wanted to do it. They had to do it the way Dana Carvey did and Lauren Michaels, who had a you know who obviously was one of I like maybe not obviously, but he if anybody you know he was the produce the creator producer showrunner for Saturday Night Live, and this was like his baby. The only this was the first, I mean, this was only the second Saturday Night Live sketch that got adapted to a movie besides Blues Brothers. Right. And, you know, it was like Lorne Michaels' whole thing, and he was driving so much, he was, you know, the main, the main producer, and he was driving so much of the process. And, um, 
but so they had to kind of appease all of those egos and not to mention the fact that um i got some conflicting information on this maybe you could set me straight johnny but uh mike myers i don't know about that don't hold your breath (laughs) well mike myers uh wanted to do the wayne character on saturday night live solo um at least at oh i don't know at first like i got some conflicting information about this like it was he wanted to do the character solo but he wasn't well known enough so they got dana carvey to play the supporting character with to go to be on the sketch with him but then there's other accounts that you read that said he had to convince dana carvey to help him with the sketch so i mean i like that story better because i like thinking of them as pals and i you know we'll probably get into it but i know they had a huge falling out for for reasons and i don't know if you want to get into that now or wait i mean you you already touched it might as well i mean no reason to make this thing even more out of sequence than it usually is yeah i mean i i believe what you're saying about that he wanted to do it solo because I, th- I think Mike Myers is a creative control freak. Right. And uh, if you notice all of his other projects, a lot of it has to do with whoever, who, like whatever the movie's about, it's the title character and he's that person. And he did his other skits by himself uh, as like the main person from SNL, Simon, the German dancer guy. <laughs> uh, you know, he. I think he likes... He's a, he's like a theater nerd, and he likes being in the lights and and that sort of thing. And he came up like with a theatrical background and dance background and all that sort of thing. So I could see him being the kid who was the little like annoying little kid who knew all his lines while the other kids are picking their nose and stuff. So I could see him being that kind of guy. Mm. I'm not saying he's a bad guy or anything, but right. the rift between um, him and Dana Carvey came from, and I don't know if you know this, you probably do, uh, the whole Doctor Evil thing. And how Dr. Evil was based on Lorne Michaels, but it was Dana Carvey's impression of Lorne Michaels that he kind of ripped off. Oh, see, I didn't know that part of it because there's, yeah. a, there's a whole thing where when Rob Lowe was in the movie, um, he had been on Saturday Night Live in 1990 and he kind of made a connection with Mike Myers. And I don't, there wasn't a whole lot about the, you know, I love to do the alternate casting and the audition stuff and blah, blah, blah. There wasn't really a whole lot of that with this one because this movie was basically, it was going to be a Wayne's World video, like vehicle. And then um, the only thing I thought that was kind of interesting was that the uh, the Cassandra character was written as an as an you know obviously an Asian woman and for some reason people thought that was a really big deal at the time but Mike Myers didn't because Toronto is a pretty cosmopolitan city and all that stuff so he didn't have to say but he kind of I don't know if he had to fight for it I don't know if it was that dramatic but he had to explain it to some people he had to explain why the love interest was this Asian rocker chick with a kind of heavy well pronounced hong kong accent but she but the joke was supposed to be that she sounded like pat benatar when she sings so it's kind of like you know when they do the ozzy bit where he's like and then he sings you know war pigs perfectly yeah yeah that's so (laughs) true dude but uh, anyway go on i'm sorry so yeah but the, the whole reason i brought up rob lowe was because he coached him to do a lauren michaels impression for the Benjamin oh. character. And then that was later. He later did that. I, see, I didn't realize, though, that it was actually Dana Carvey's Lorne Michaels impression that he actually stole for Dr. Evil. That's 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 interesting. Yeah, there's videos. I was just trying to look one up to to play through my mic, but there's a video. Uh, there's I think there's several videos of him doing, and even in his old stand-up bits, Dana Carvey would do an impression of Lorne Michaels. Like, <laughs> here's what we're going to do, gentlemen. <laughs> Uh, that's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
you're going to play this skit like this. Uh, and, you know, there are videos of Dana Carvey doing that. And you could just look at how Mike Myers did the voice and the, the mouth. It's basically like almost like a whistle. Mm-hmm. Like you make your, your mouth small. You're used to that. And you make it round. <laughs> I fucking do it. <laughs> <laughs> just for our new audience mike has a very small mouth huge penis small mouth <laughs> all right um uh cannot fillet oneself uh so anyway yeah so dana carvey had that impression and he felt that mike myers ripped it for dr evil and, or didn't give him the credit for it or whatever and you know i think when it comes to especially people on snl they're always it's a very uh, dog eat dog thing where they're in that writer's room and they got a campaign for their skits to be picked up and how many skits is this person going to get a week? And it's like, you know, especially with that crowd, you had Sandler, Farley, Mike Myers, Dana Carvey, David Spade, uh, Rob Schneider, uh, all those uh, which wound up being, you know, legitimate careers afterwards, you know, all pining for those spots. And maybe he just felt he saw Mike take off almost like the Bill Murray Chevy Chase thing. Mm-hmm. He he saw Mike take off and he's doing you know Master of Disguise which tanks and Austin Powers just lights it up and a big part of it's because of the Doctor Evil character which you know Dana Carvey it's documented that he, if you do a Doctor Evil next to his Lorne Michaels that's that's the bit man and I think they had a big falling out for a while they've since reunited because they even have done award shows where they showed up as Wayne and Garth and Uber um, commercials Uber Eats commercials Uber Eats commercials and it is funny seeing these guys in their mid 50s still with the same like they have didn't even change the costumes or anything but <laughs> it's fun it for me it's fun seeing them I, I don't care how they look I think it's cool seeing them but yeah that was that that was their rift and um I, I find that interesting because I don't know maybe you do were they when they were making these movies and stuff, did they have a good friendship? I don't know if they did. Yeah, I well, when they were... Co- my understanding of it was that the rift started because um, they wanted the supporting character for the Wayne the Wayne's World sketches. And Mike Myers gave him... Gave Dana Carvey no direction whatsoever. He, he only told him that uh, Garth's whole gimmick is that he just worshipped Wayne. So Dana Carvey had to kind of come up with, and for me, he's the real hero of this thing. Watching it again as an adult, I mean, because the Mike, My- a lot of the Mike Myers stick didn't translate to me anymore. Like the way he talks, his mannerisms, the some of the tangents he would go on. But the but Garth was way funnier to me than he, even even what he was when he was like, when I was a kid, and he based a, a lot of that point. Perf- he based a lot of that performance on his brother, who was a very shy, very <laughs> intelligent kind of tinkerer guy. Like, and one of the things, like one of the anecdotes, was that he would do something like the tr- their dryer would be broken, and he would fix it with a butter knife. And his parents would be like, "Oh my god, Brad, that's amazing!" And he would just be like, "Thanks." Like, <laughs> I like to fix. <laughs> <laughs> but. Um, yeah, I think it was. I think when Wayne's World blew up, that it really affected the relationship, not only with um, Mike Myers and Dana Carvey, because I think Mike Myers wanted more credit for the whole enterprise, even though from most of the information I saw, he didn't really give Dana Carvey a lot of help coming up with that character. Mm. And, and it also created a rift with uh, Penelope Spheris, because I mentioned a few minutes ago that the. Um, there were a lot of different takes for scenes. There were at least three different takes that were usable for every scene. 
So I supposedly, when the movie was test screened, Mike Myers was just seething about all the takes that didn't land or the or all the jokes that didn't in his mind didn't land and all the better takes she could have used. Probably most of them were the way he wanted to do it. I would, mm-hmm. if I were a betting man. Yeah. So she, he, the, then it follows that she didn't direct the sequel. And the rumor right. is that he had a lot to do with that because he had a bad experience with her, but she had just as bad of an experience, if not worse with him because he was very difficult on the set and it was his first you know, major production. And I know that at the time his father was ill and he actually passed away during the production of the movie, but he, I mean, he, his, his dad didn't die every time he made a movie because these stories right. keep coming up about him. I yeah, that's a good point, dude. Because that is true. That is true. I mean, yeah. Is that is that what you were uh, vaguely referencing about how like when you researched this movie, it kind of bummed you out a little bit? Yes. Yeah, I was kind of bummed about that because I always liked Mike Myers. I mean, some of it, when you talk about Mike Myers' shtick, um, I think you hit the nail on the head. Some of it is very derivative, and he 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 calls back a lot of things especially when he does certain accents and stuff like his scottish accent he does a lot of the similar jokes mm-hmm. whether it's shrek fat bastard so i married an ex-murderer <laughs> down the line um he he has a certain way with his humor and it's kind of you know it's a mike myers bit sort of thing i do agree with you about his stuff didn't age as well in this movie and i think a part of that has to do with he's very uh current referential in stuff he does and what i mean by that is he'll make a lot of jokes that pertain to what's going on in the year that movie's coming out and then after a while it doesn't work as much kind of like how like a perfect example of that for me is and i know you know you make fun of me for how i make fun of gold member but <laughs> he you know, the whole beginning of the movie when he does the Britney Spears thing and like it's like the, with the Pepsi thing and he's dancing with her and he puts on and he has the Britney Spears schoolgirl thing on and then he says, oops, I did it again, baby. It's like that is horrible watching that now. Like it's just like it doesn't work and it was maybe funny in 2002, maybe. Mm. Oh, I, I- And it's just... You know what I'm saying? When you put it that way, I agree with you. But it's not just the current year bits. It's the it's the call. It, it's like when they did the Laverne and Shirley bit when they went to Milwaukee, oh. and it was like, you know, we talk about how some of the movies we watch are just like they're classics, and we can imagine people of almost any age really enjoying them as long as they can kind of understand what's going on. Like this movie, I think if if you showed this to like a 17 year old kid now, he'd be like, what what the hell is this? The Laverne and Shirley bit. Because I barely remember that show. And I didn't really watch it. I only really remember it because I think my mom would watch it or like, or something like that. But, or. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Kids today would just be like, why are they at a beer factory? Yeah. Or like when he's goofing around when Cassandra's on the phone and he's doing the Marilyn Monroe singing to like JFK. Like, I know that's kind of a classic bit that everybody, but it's like at that point, that had happened 30 years before that. And, right. and you're doing this bit. So, I mean, I don't know if that's if that's from him because he worked on this movie with... Um, he wrote the script with Bonnie and Terry Turner. The uh, the husband and wife writing team I didn't even know I knew so, I, I knew so much about. Uh, not in particular, but they wrote Third Rock from the Sun and that 70s show. And they worked on a bunch of other pretty successful comedy films as well. None of those are coming back to me. But, I mean, that 70s show was, you know, really funny to... 
to me at least, especially early on, except for Ashton Kutcher. I, I can't stand him. But um, yeah. the uh, I don't know what part of the writing put the but but like you said i think it's probably his influence because and then you do have but you do have the bits that work like the uh t1000 cameo which was just completely out of left field and mike myers even said he didn't know people would go so quote unquote shithouse over that <laughs> but they did i mean that like there's just a random thing to put in there like robert patrick showing up and that movie was so huge uh, that summer. Yeah, it was only a year old. Yeah. It was probably still just making money I, I on th- video. I think this movie came out in February of 82. Or 92. 92. Jesus. 92. Yeah. And, uh, you know, uh, T2 had come out that summer. So it was still kind of fresh in everyone's mind. But it does further validate your point about him, his comedy, in a lot of ways, kind of being trapped in time. Rather than trying yeah. to come up with bits, like, uh, like there was some stuff. Like there was, there were a few moments that just made like I still laughed out loud heartily at several scenes in this movie, and none of them were those were those those scenes that you, as you put it, just put a timestamp on it. Yeah, um, like right. I, like uh, one of the reasons I said Data Carby is the unsung hero of the, but not the unsung hero, but I'd say the true hero of the movie. I, you know, right when I turned it on and they're doing the, they're doing the, when they were doing the suck cut bit, I was dying laughing. Like, even, and I don't know how many times I've seen that scene, but he's just, the way he was screaming and then he says, turn it on, it's sucking my will to live. <laughs> this is not good, I like this. Yeah. And then Wayne's like, you're right, it certainly does suck. Um... Uh, so so what do you have um a standout like funniest part in the movie well i just I, in this in this case i just wrote down the three scenes that i laughed the hardest at out loud that was one of them the i still laugh at the no stairway to heaven bit which if <laughs> people are not aware that was a practice that actually happened in british music shops because so many people would come in and they'd play like whatever they could remember of Stairway to Heaven that they started fining people and just banning people from stores for it. I mean, even Robert Plant hated Stairway to Heaven, so... Well, and they stole it from some other band, too, so... I can't remember the name. they did. Yeah, I can't remember the name of the band, but they actually lost some... Law- well, they didn't... I don't know if they lost the lawsuit, but they settled out of court, which means they didn't want to pay more. Um, right. I'm sorry, I can't remember the name of that band, because that's a kind of an interesting factoid, but... Uh, the yeah when the, when they do the no stairway but the thing the other thing is so they put that bit in the movie but the the first five notes of stairway to heaven were you only heard those if you saw Wayne's World in the theater because right. there was so much there was like so much hassle with acquiring the rights to that song that they he plays five notes and you're like that doesn't sound like stairway to heaven it's like you're right it doesn't because it isn't. So it's kind right. of it's kind of a bit that again doesn't really make sense. It just like it just kind of got lost in the translation, so to speak. Yeah. But, but every time he just starts playing, the guy just points to the sign. It makes me laugh. And then the <laughs> other one was when uh, and this will I think this will segue nicely into what you think is one of the high points of the movie is when they do they first go to the set when after they've already signed the deal and they've. Um, and they're gonna play the theme, and then that horseshit, hokey, <laughs> corporate Wade's World theme comes Wayne's on. World. 
and then it cuts to fucking Rob Lowe in the control booth, and he's just rocking out to it like he thinks it's the greatest thing he's ever heard. <laughs> like, that man is an absolute treasure. And the funniest thing is about, oh, about him, you know, he wasn't known for... He didn't do comedy before this movie. Like, he went, he was on Saturday Night Live a couple years before it came out, and he actually credited Mike Myers with Dana Carvey with, tr- like, showing him how to be, quote-unquote, professionally funny. And now it's, like, it's what he's known for. And this, he's so and funny. His, and his career was kind of on the scrap heap because there was that whole sex tape thing and all that stuff. Oh, he, he had a sex tape, too? Yeah, he had a sex tape with a minor, I think. Um, what? Yeah, and... Uh, Jeez. Yeah, his career was kind of on the... I think he was married, too, at the time. I think he and his wife have been together for Wait, forever. what year are we talking about? Like, early... Like, late 80s, early 90s. It was around the time uh, Bad Influence came out. Who's making home sex tapes in the late 80s? Like, they probably had a giant video camera. Like, he's setting up a <laughs> tripod. Like, this isn't, like, off the cuff, like I'm getting a Hummer while holding my iPhone. <laughs> He had to set up equipment to film that shit. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't even think they, unless you had like, even if you had one of those VHSC cameras with the little tapes. I mean, those camcorders were still pretty hefty. But it was <laughs> Rob Lowe just like setting up umbrellas, like white umbrellas for lighting. <laughs> yeah, make sure, make sure his like his just ass and abs look perfect in the, <laughs> no matter what position they're in. He's like, look, babe, I'm gonna look like this in 2020, so I better look good today too. <laughs> That's true. That man is. Not aged very much in, must, in yeah. the time we've known him. Yeah, I mean, I didn't know about all that, but, um, I mean, I always found him to be funny um, in, because that was the era we grew up in. Was you know, I didn't grow up in the Brat Pack era. Yeah, that, so, was, that predated us a little bit. Like St. Elmo's Fire or whatever, like that movie stinks. Yeah, he, got, he actually got nominated for a Razzie for that because he was so yeah. bad in it. Yeah, but he was, he was good, and that is a really funny part because he plays – a very good uppity white dude that you want to punch in the face. <laughs> there was a there was a kind of a gaff. There was a lot, you know. There's always like continuity errors, and one of the one of the practices we try to do here is not get too into those because those can get really boring to listen to. But in the credits, he's listed as Benjamin Oliver, but he introduces himself as Benjamin Kane. And I thought that was mm-hmm. interesting because the company he works for is Oliver Communications. So if his name was actually Benjamin Oliver, it would make so much more sense if his character was like the boss's kid or like the boss's nephew or something. Yeah. And that's, Do you think like maybe his character is like he has like a like a a stage name? I don't like know. His, I didn't even think about yeah. that angle. But I just I I just thought that would be a little like oh it's like oh because I actually remember watching this and I was thinking oh yeah his name's Benjamin Oliver but then he introduces himself as Benjamin Kane and then he's listed as the credits that way. And I was, I was conflating it with the name of the company, but there's even more of a source for confusion for that. So anyway, yeah. but yeah, he Interesting. was he was great in this movie. I mean, and, and this was oh. this was like his first. You wanna, please? I mean, no, you said it. You said everything. I think we covered it. Like he's just um, like his stuff resonates and it sticks and it's still good. And he plays the same type of, even though sometimes he plays more of a face, like in Parks and Rec he still plays that type of humor where it's like he's cheesy and a little stiff but he gets away with it because he's so good looking <laughs> good work you know if saying? you can get it <laughs> yeah all right so 
No, I, yeah, he's great. I thought Tia Carrera's like fantastic in this movie. Oh, you know, I was a little concerned that you weren't gonna be too enthused with her performance in this movie for some reason. I'm not sure no, why, because I, I, I think when it comes to music, you just you're more you're more well versed in it and all that stuff. And I just oh, I wouldn't say that. Dude. I, I, yeah, I would, think you know, uh, but I don't know. I think I thought you would have a problem with her singing or something. I actually know, because uh, I think why I like it so much is that she actually did this singing. If it were a situation where s- another singer was doing the stuff, that would zap me out of the movie, because you could recognize that stuff, and that would probably annoy me. But the fact that she did it, and she, you know, like they say in the movie, she wails. <laughs> and uh, I thought it was really good. Like, some of the bass playing, you could tell she's definitely not doing what the music's doing. Right. Yeah, I mean, the whole and band, the whole goddamn band is like that. If, if you're if you if you're if you're a prepubescent boy watching that movie and you're worried about what fret she's on while you're looking at Tia Carrera, you got another you got other problems. I mean, she is a total biscuit. Oh my, my own. <laughs> holy cow! Yeah, I remember being really into her and still not realizing, you know, what all that stuff was all about. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But I mean, you, you, uh, it, so so let me since since I got by the way, uh, that's a meta reference to uh, another character referring to her in True Lies. <laughs> when they find out she has two million dollars in some account, it's like that's a little above market rate for for, for the horizontal bop, even for a total biscuit like her. <laughs> um, and and she, I, I this was uh, in multiple spots, so I believe this is accurate. She turned down a role in Baywatch. For yeah, this movie. I saw and, that too. And she that's. Would- she, she, what a career move. What a move. Yeah, she would have been a marine biologist who was David Hasselhoff's love interest, I think. That was the And her career would have went nowhere. Yeah. Yeah, and and it's cool that she had the like the musical talent cuz I think she'd been on Star Search, like she was trying to figure she was trying to be a singer, but that wasn't really like working out for her. So then she moved to California and then thought she would try like getting into acting too. I read an article about her because I was kind of curious what had happened to her because I wasn't really, um, I don't think she totally like fell off the face of the earth. I think she just did some stuff. Like I think she took a hiatus and then you know did some different things because I I don't really remember much past Wayne's World, Wayne's World Two, um, True Lies. There's also for uh, this is a scumbag alert. So if you want to see her in a sex scene, watch. I believe I've referenced this movie before. It's one of the great bad movies, in my opinion, of all time. It's called Showdown in Little Tokyo. She's oh. the, she is the love interest for Dolph Lundgren, and they have a they have a sex scene in that movie. Wow! So, um, you, it, it, I think I mentioned it during the Crow uh, episode because Brandon Lee had a very short film career, and that was one of the movies he was in. And I'm reading this article that you know she's talking about everything she was in. She was talking about. The soap opera she was on, she was talking about being on Star Search, she was talking about um, Wayne's World, Wayne's World 2, and that, and then she was talking about a show that she's on now, where she, I don't know if she it plays a drag queen, or if she's on a show with a bunch of drag queens, but that's like the show she's doing now. She did not mm. mention Showdown in Little Tokyo. <laughs> so that's there the kind of go. information. That's you need to know. That's the kind of information you can only get on this program. So right. No you, other... Wayne's World podcast <laughs> will give you that type of background. So yeah, and if it, so, if you're inter- if you like that kind of commentary and that kind of value added trivia, please consider subscribing to the program or following us on social media at Just the Movies on Twitter, 
just like the movies pod on Instagram. Just wanted to get that plug in there. But uh, And even if you don't like hearing about where you can see Tia Carrere naked, you know, just tell people anyway. Recommend it to some of your friends. Maybe they'll be interested in that kind of yeah. thing. But, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, yeah. So And you know she actually won a Grammy? She's a Grammy award-winning singer. She went back to her roots because she's a Hawaiian. Right. And um, she started singing Hawaiian music and she won a Grammy in 2009. Wow. Yeah, she I mean she's very talented mm. without a doubt. And she uh, I love the fact that she came back for the sequel. You know, a lot of times people, you know, jump ship. Like mm-hmm. think about, you know, Elizabeth Hurley just doing the cameo and bailing on Austin Powers 2 and you know, that that sort of stuff happens a lot where the love interests don't roll over. Like um uh our first podcast, Kim Basinger didn't come back for Batman Returns. They kind of just he he talks about where she went and why it didn't work out. Um, but you know, that's not, you know, neither here nor there, but yeah, she's, she's great. Um, I thought, um, even Laura Flynn Boyle was really funny in this movie. <laughs> yeah. I thought she was in the movie more, but she, she's not, she's in the movie a few scenes and she's very, yeah. um, that was before she went like full anorexic. It's like, you know, I mean, she yeah, was, she got too. Yeah. Yeah. And that, was she with Jack Nicholson. This is before she was with Jack Nicholson. Yeah. Way before that. Way yeah. Before she, that. Uh, my favorite part has to be when they're playing hockey and she's riding the bike and she's already <laughs> injured for falling through the club. And she just goes, hi, Wayne. <laughs> hi. Right. And drills the car and flies <laughs> over the hood. I remember that being in the promo for the movie. Yeah. In the, in like, the, in the preview, she, they used a different take. She was actually on roller skates. I read that. Yeah. Oh, right. Good call. I don't Good remember call. that, but I do. Yeah. I did read that because they do that stuff all the time, and it makes you think if you're crazy. Because I re- there was a movie I saw. I don't want to get well. You know, sometimes you see movies and you remember things being different, and then oh yes, yeah, and absolutely. then they come out on home video and they're not how you remember them. And then it's like, was it in my head or did they change that for the home video release or? Mandela effect. Yeah, maybe I read it in the novelization and pictured it in my head, and I thought anyway. But yeah, she was she was very funny. And and this might so you know co-stars get together all the time. And Mike Myers had his pick of well, I don't know if he had his pick because I don't know if they were interested. You know, whatever. That's kind of taking. Forgive me for taking away the agency of women. I did not mean to do that, but. He, it's like, if he wanted to make a move on somebody, he could have made a move on, like, Lara Flynn Boyle, which was at the peak of her powers, or Tia Carrere. And instead, he got together with Robin Ruzan, who he was married to for almost 15 years. And she played one of the waitresses at Stan Makita's, I think. Is that right? Yeah. Wow. Stan Makita's, that was a good set. Um, I, I know it was like a Tim Hortons. Yeah. Yeah. But um, when I, I find that... I found that I just found that like a, I liked the open concept of it. I thought it was that it was very conducive to filming, and they did a lot of like long shots where they went along the whole stretch of the bar, and uh, you had Ed O'Neill in there, obviously just crushing his small time in the movie. <laughs> you had that guy Indeed. who's like in in a ton of '80s movies uh, who looks like Stan Marsh <laughs> from South Park. I don't know. You probably know this guy's I, name. I I don't actually. It's a skate. I thought I knew it, but then I had it confused with another guy. So he was in. He, he played like uh, Kurt Russell's buddy in Overboard. Wow. Uh, I just don't. I'll find it in a minute, just because we. That's what we got to do around here. Think, Mike ha- Mike Haggerty, I believe. I was, was gonna say Mike Flaherty. I knew it was like some Irish name. 
Yeah, Mike Haggerty. Oh. Um, so, yeah, you had that guy and you had, you know, uh, Donut Shop Girl. And uh, one of my funniest moments in the movie takes place in the donut shop. And it's, again, you know, you said it, Dana Carvey. And there's <laughs> something about Dana Carvey. Like, I didn't really, I don't think I really liked him growing up. But now I like him more. I don't know if it's just, he has a, a way more of a, a professional way that he does his comedy that is more subtle and nuanced that you don't pick up on when you're a kid. And now when you check his stuff out, you're like, that guy is a pro at comedy. Yeah, I, of the two main performances, his age way better. Yeah, you, you, yeah I love that you said that because it's just so, it's so true. So that's a great point. And uh, when, he's, when Garth is in the donut shop, is playing with his food. I, I, I laughed so hard when he goes, Hey, Mr. Donut, who's trying to kill you? And he's like, I don't know, but they better not. <laughs> like, I, like it's just, I don't know what, I don't know if it's like the, just the innocence and like how he's kind of like another South Park reference. It's a little bit like Butters, but something about how he, I don't know, but they better not. Like, of course they better not. Otherwise you're dead. Like, it's just so, that, that line is just so funny to me. And then he does the, ree, ree, ree. I just find that oh, yeah. I don't know why. That's I just find that good. so funny. I'm not happy. Oh, yes. <laughs> it's so stupid, but it's so funny because he creates these full characters using crullers, donuts, jelly donuts, and all these things, jelly donuts for the blood. Yeah. Oh, I thought that bit was so funny. So that that whole scene, uh, the the stuff with the cop and the you know the pig jokes and like. I don't know what it was about that set and them using that donut shop, but I feel like it added a lot of fun uh, depth to the movie. Yeah, it, it's kind of whimsical, too, because, I mean, I, li- I really like donuts, like, a little too much, and uh, it would be <laughs> great to see a place like that that's just this huge donut shop. But it's like, how would a place like that even maintain? It's like you've got people sitting at a table for an hour, and they're drinking coffee and eating donuts. It's like, you're not going to... Like, that place isn't going to like survive especially now but um yeah yeah they they had the idea for that because you know it was a chicago suburb in the movie and they for they they got the idea to use stan makita (laughs) and then it's cool you see them wearing blackhawk jerseys when they're playing uh street hockey later in the movie so that um you mentioned i i I wasn't aware that they hadn't filmed a lot of the movie in chicago which kind of makes sense like it seems like they did a lot of pickup shots because like yeah. uh, when you see that sculpture of the the eight, it's like the seven or eight cars that's on a spike. That was in one of the. I think it was in Berwyn, Illinois. So that was definitely one okay. of the establishing shots they used. Yeah, but, some of the you know the uh, montage sort of drive down a, a, a commercial street sort of thing they did pickups in chicago there i think like if you saw like a white castle or you know one of the fast food chains or whatever and they did a very similar thing with uh like clerks too and they, a lot of movies do that where they're like we just want to let the, make the audience feel that we're here um sort of thing but most of it was done in uh la or the suburbs of la including mm. wayne's house there's actually a, a location you could drive by and, and see what the uh, the outside of the house which famously in Wayne's world had the van with the giant satellite dish parked out in front um, and eventually eventually um, Rob Lowe's uh, red convertible at the end of the movie but walking out uh, gingerly but <laughs> yeah I, I mean there, there's a lot we can get into I feel like we knocked out most of the cast uh, maybe maybe one more nod to Brian Doyle Murray uh, just for for his recognizable voice a lot of people not realizing that he's bill murray's brother probably 
and uh just being that uh you know the the perfect fall guy for for wayne and garth being you know cool kids making fun of the old man sort of thing and um the whole noah's arcade bit people are looking at me in a whole new way Right, right, I, right. See, that was like you know, I was I was trying to think because I know a lot of times when we do these movies, it's hard. Like we don't, we just talk about them. I mean, because we we cherry pick like our favorite movies from when we were younger, and then we revisit them. Uh, this movie, like as much as I enjoyed rewatching it, I did kind of notice what, like, there were some, and maybe for a comedy, it's thinking a little too deep. Like we we already talked about kind of the the issues we both seem to have with Meyer's performance a little bit, like how it's aged, it's, it's kind of a little hammy. Um, yeah, and then the you know the pop culture references you you adding a layer to it where I just thought the pop culture references were old and that they wouldn't age well, and then even when you try to make them contemporary to the time, it's the same problem. But yeah. um, you know, you mentioned the whole you mentioned the uh, Noah Vanderhoff, the, the Brian Doyle Murray's character, and it just got me thinking about how it was like what was Benjamin's plan. Like, was he just being evil for the sake of being evil? Like, so you you buy out this this public access show, you take it over, and then the, your first move is to immediately fire the guy who's obviously in charge. Like, so then what do you do with that show? Do you just take some other random guy and plug him in there and just call it Wayne's World? Or like, I like I guess maybe I'm over I'm probably overthinking it, but it was like you have to have some kind of conflict that gets resolved in these movies. And, like, for, for me, it was, like, I didn't get his whole plan besides just being a general scumbag and trying to scoop Cassandra, which, you know, any red, red-blooded man would at least think about. But, um... <laughs> I, mean, wh- I agree. I, 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 think, I think it's one of those loosey-goosey things where they just wanted to establish that he's the villain and we're not going to get... They're not going to get too detailed in you know what his end game is or anything like that because we don't even end up getting there and you know they have this Mister Big Guy at the end and you know <laughs> Tony Cicero himself is Mister Big. This uh, Frank DeLeo is the actor's name. That guy was actually Michael Jackson's manager for five years in the eighties. Holy cow! Is he Paul Heyman's dad by any chance? <laughs> I think Paul Heyman Senior. <laughs> no, <laughs> although I... Paul Heyman's probably the same age as that guy for all we know. But um, possibly, but yeah, I, 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 that's part of why I picked this movie too because I, I recognized Tootie Cicero. I'm like, that's Frank Sharp, Sharp Records. Wow, <laughs> Mr. Big well, himself. Only, only you <laughs> would point would would lock that down. <sighs> yeah, it was a, it's kind of a um, kind of a weird moment for me. But um, yeah, I, I that, that was like one thing I had a problem. Like I I thought the Benjamin character was pretty funny. Uh, overall obviously and i know you did too and uh, you know if you want to get more into it but like did you know that the girl that he's in bed with at the beginning is uh <coughs> i own sky from uh say anything i know you're a john cusack fan ah that makes you just you, you just uh lit the the light bulb my head just went off yeah. wow i did not make that connection but now i i immediately see her face yes wow very cool her hair was gorgeous like in that. that scene but apparently she was a like, <laughs> like for me it's sometimes it's funnier to see like when you you're trying to show a character's traits and you don't go over the top with it and yeah. the the way that exchange was written i don't know who gets the credit for it but it was like she's like yeah benjamin you haven't been in shakies lately so she's a shakies waitress he picked and he's like well i've been real busy 
Like he's, <laughs> like he's too busy to go to a restaurant for an hour and get pizza. It's like it's just they're, like funny. They're like, in bed while eating pizza. <laughs> I, they didn't have shakies out by you, right? No, no. I don't think we no. didn't have them either. It's, no, uh, we didn't have that. Um, but I do find it funny though, like. Like in movies and TV, it's a, it's another trope that they just don't care about in terms of like it being realistic. Like she's flipping all the channels, and she gets to, and and it, you know they're going through things that are very you know familiar in terms of what's on TV back in those times. And she gets to Wayne and Garth, and it's just at the moment the show's starting, and it's like, of course it is, you know. <laughs> it, that, That's I, I find that I find that stuff kind of funny, and uh, yeah, I mean. That I I do like yeah I do like Benjamin and he, he's a great character and I'm a I've always found Rob Lowe to be very funny, um, but you know it's like this movie didn't necessarily need a villain in my opinion like the plot was fine <clears throat> because it's you got to give this movie credit because Wayne's World is a very linear SNL skit that is very repetitive every week and the fact that they were able to form a story off of it and make it a good fun movie is ve- you, it you got to give it a lot of credit for them to be able to do that because you can look at how they can try to do that and it go horribly wrong and i know what movie you're probably thinking of a night at the roxbury a couple of them man. Um, i mean you know what i'm saying yeah it's it with this movie like you were talking we were talking about you know we we like to crack on the st- like stars when they do star things when they're like and he, you know Mike Myers wasn't even really a star yet not a bona fide no. one anyway and he was still pulling this shit like he was like one of the stories was he flipped over a catering table cuz they didn't have margarine for his bagel and like he was pulling shit like this but you know there's a flip side to that coin and it was like like you know it was part of his attention to detail. Maybe his writing helped contribute to the, make the movie more successful than other movies that have been adapted for Saturday Live sketches. We can get to that in a little bit, but um, that's fair. He, um, you know, one of the other things that you know his obstinate or persnickety or whatever word you want to use nature helped with was that. Uh, and I noticed that you're wearing a Guns and Roses T-shirt. And yes, is that intentional? It it is genius. It is intentional. So so why don't you tell everybody why you're wearing a Guns N' Roses T-shirt for this Wayne's World uh, telecast? Well, well, the one of may or maybe the most famous scene from the movie is them in the Merc Mobile Mirth, Murph Mobile Mirth, like Mirth. Oh, like oh, the Mirth. Yeah, it's a we- it's weird. It's like the, I it took me. Like, I only know that because I read it a bunch of times. Like I, I thought it was Merc Mirth Mobile. Yeah, sorry. Uh, all, all the the Wayne's World purists are going to come after me now. Yeah, uh, you like, know how like those me. folks are, <laughs> <laughs> like you, you like, piece of shit, like my dumbass. Anyway, sorry. Like, yeah. So, um, originally the studio and the director wanted them to use Guns N' Roses music um, because Guns N' Roses was white hot at the time. They are off the heels of Appetite for Destruction. Just put out Use Your Illusion Part One. Uh, it was featured in Terminator 2. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and so it, it, it would have made a lot of sense for them to rock out to Guns N' Roses. People would have been familiar with it. They would have used it in promotion uh, promos for the movie. And Mike Myers was insistent upon them using Bohemian Rhapsody. And brilliant call. A gutsy call. Especially because Queen, apparently at that time, even with the death of Freddie Mercury, which as we all know, 
when artists or actors die, everyone all of a sudden becomes big fans of those people. Right. And and Freddie Mercury died in late ninety one or something like that. And before uh, before that, Queen I did not know this. Queen was not popular in the United States anymore from right. the mid. 80s to their early 90s i had no clue about that apparently they didn't even tour in the u.s anymore yep so i found that very interesting and it's so funny we're doing a wayne's world podcast and i learned something about the history of queen so i uh, that's another reason why i love doing what we're doing here because you learn all these other facts about other things but uh, i'm getting off the path here but the point being he made the unpopular call and he insisted upon it being a bohemian rhapsody and it wound up being the most popular famous scene in the movie and it put queen back on the map bohemian rhapsody charted at number one in the u.s again or something like that Mm -hmm. they started selling a lot of records and it was used in all the promos for the movie and to this day like people think when they think of bohemian rhapsody a lot of people i think think of wayne's world yeah and that's that's amazing because it's an iconic ballad epic song and it's just like that scene man that whole scene is incredible except for the fact that Apparently, Dana Carvey was very pissed off about the takes they used. Yeah, he was he was pissed off because they <laughs> he didn't really know the words. And but I think it worked for the character. I think it did. For, yes, I agree. I, I think it's perfect for Garth. I, I, so I don't think you know our our creative performers they don't always get it right with what they're upset about. So um, yeah. yeah, the Bohemian Rhapsody scene. I mean, I remember acting that out many times in my teenage years. <laughs> And, you know, especially when you start to, like, explore your, your taste in music and stuff. And, um, yeah, like, you know, and, and that's, a, like, such an easy callback because so many people, like, I'm, I don't know. I can't, I tend to overgeneralize sometimes. But I, I, I think a lot of the people I knew growing up enjoyed this movie. So it was a really, it's like, oh, Bohemian Rhapsody's on. We got a headbang now. And then, so that's this iconic scene. And then, of course, Mike Myers was upset about it because he didn't think it worked. He didn't think it'd be funny. And yeah. he, and again, he was wrong. And right. but a, an interesting uh, kind of side effect of this shot was they had to shoot it a bunch of times because they're shooting a scene in a moving car, and everybody was headbanging so much that Mike Mike Myers and Dana Carvey injured their necks. So in later scenes of the movie, you could actually see they're like moving their necks as little as possible. Because oh wow, <laughs> yeah. So that's something to watch out for, especially in the. Um, in the scene so where funny. they're they're laying on the hood of the Mirthmobile and they're just talking, that was mm-hmm. the last scene of the movie they shot, and they wouldn't even look at each other really because their necks hurt so bad. And everybody was just the shoot was we, we mentioned the shoot was t- like kind of turbulent, and like they just improv that scene and just got out because they just wanted to wrap like call it a day. That's so funny because I I I think I kind of subconsciously knew that they moved their heads in an odd way but i really i thought it was just because they didn't want their wigs to shift oh but it's a good thought but uh but that 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 makes sense that uh, why not both as yeah i mean you we've all done our head banging you know you and i both like metal and i was in a metal band and i i mean it 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 definitely knocks you up yeah i mean i knocks your head i mean i tried to headbang but i mean my brain is like made out of faberge egg so it's like i can't do anything (laughs) faberge even mike (laughs) is that a good use of that yeah it is it is at faberge even it's uh (laughs) well yeah, it's like I can't do anything without getting a headache. Anyway, so what's <laughs> well, I, I yeah, well, just before we started recording, I told you I've had a headache all day. Yeah. But, but this is this talking about this movie is making me feel better. But oh, that's great, that's great. Yeah, that's yeah, it's 
it's a fun it's just such a fun movie to talk about and you know you just brought up that scene where they're on the uh the uh the mic mobile and um and uh garth is talking about um i'm turning this into a bit now just in case everybody's not aware uh it's gonna get annoying but he that whole bugs bunny dressed up as a girl bunny thing was apparently improv by dana carvey and um uh mike myers like got caught off guard by it so they had to edit in a different shot of him laughing yeah or something like that well i think what it was was that they were just riffing and they use a different take of him laughing that was more genuine because he yeah yeah dana carvey said something that completely caught him off guard and then he like that's the laugh they used and the the, the funny (laughs) thing to me is i always thought that laugh looked super fake that's why that 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 little piece of information was so confusing to me because him laughing like that looked really fake to me but apparently it was genuine, and that's why they decided to use it. Maybe that was one of the alternate takes he was pissed off about that got used, as opposed to something he would have signed off more on. He maybe Mike Myers, and, and you know who knows how much of this is accurate? Because sometimes there's obviously a lot of rumors and stuff that come off of movie sets that uh, aren't always necessarily true. But we have to go by what's out there and what we've done our research on and that sort of thing. But what? One one of the things I wanted to to bring up in terms of, um, you know, I talked about their wigs a little bit and that sort of thing, and I I don't know that they really. I, I think the whole thing with Wayne's World because they wanted to keep the characters to look exactly like they look on the SNL skit, and on SNL, you know, you're running back between skits and you got to change and you know put your stuff on for the next skit and it's not necessarily always a good looking thing sometimes the wigs are coming off and (laughs) and that's part of the that's part of the charm of snl i think they really wanted to make sure they kept wayne and garth looking like people recognize wayne and garth so i think the you know i got the hat on with my wig and that's like you know anytime someone bought a costume for wayne and garth like the wayne came with the hair with the hat it was attached Mm -hmm. and you know that's how wayne looked and that's fine and garth had the you know the weird mullet type of thing but the funniest thing, really, about Garth is that they joke about how oh he just got pubes, and like the, the it's it's almost like he's supposed to be like this kid, but you know Dana Carvey is thirty seven years old. Yeah. He's like our age mm-hmm. when he filmed this thing, and it's just so funny because he he it's like we I made the joke about how uh, not really the joke but the observation that in our last episode if you haven't checked it out yet or we did an episode on Goodfellas, but how Scorsese just didn't give a shit about how old actors were versus how old they were supposed to be. He like De Niro not. was supposed to be 29 years old at the beginning of Goodfellas. And that's this if if Goodfellas can get away with that with Scorsese, then you can have a 37-year-old Dana Carvey playing a character on an SNL movie. Yeah, it was like uh, it was early who's supposed 20s to be a lot younger or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I think yeah. that that's an interesting observation and I think the the way the shoot was, like everything was very harried and everything was like it probably wasn't if you think about it all that different pace-wise from well, Saturday Live is a whole separate animal, but as far as a film shoot goes, I mean, it was probably pretty crazy with just the amount they tried to get done. And I mean, it wasn't a crazy budget. I think it was like twenty million. Was that is that and right? It, but and it, it made a it made a lot of money. Yeah, yeah you nailed it, dude. It's it did. twenty million dollars. It did yeah. make a lot of money. It did make it made it was the only Saturday Live film to make over a hundred million dollars out of the eleven that they made. And yeah, um, and mo- most of them aren't good. In my oh, opinion. they're. I mean, I was gonna bring that up a little later, but um, the. You know, one of the reasons this movie 
has any you know pop culture like relevance is because this is the dragon that Saturday Night Live was always chasing after. That's is why they made shitty movie after shitty movie after shitty movie. And it was like, and then it, you know, like I've seen some of those movies. They fucking stink on ice. Like, it, like Stuart <laughs> saves his family is god awful. Like, but the, it's Pat. It's Pat. Well, I, I, I don't think I could even sit through it's Pat. But um, I've never seen it's Pat. I'm not gonna pretend I did. <laughs> like Night at the Roxbury was dog oh, shit. The, superstar, fucking terrible. Well, I never liked that character. Like I never Neither did. I. I it was but the like, movie stunk. Yeah, and then the only the only movie that was that I kind of thought was funny was MacGruber. That was like the last one they ever did. Oh yeah, MacGruber is pretty funny. Magru- That's true. MacGruber, I mean, had some cringy kind of over the top moments, but if you look at how it's like sending up that like the the MacGyver action eighties action shows, like that's pretty funny. Like that, yeah, Will Forte is funny. Yeah, he's he's pretty funny. I never watched that Last Man on Another show. I couldn't get I couldn't get behind the concept. Um, I, I I'm with you on that, dude. Yeah. I like him, but I, not enough to support that. So here, um, so here's a shifting gears back to uh, Tia Carrera. It's Carrera, sorry. I think that I I I've heard it both ways. Uh, <laughs> right. So the the seed where I mean, like, like we talked about, kind of Benjamin's plan, and that part of that involved you know trying to snake Cassandra from Wayne. Um, Quite literally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because that that mu- that music video shoot was I I didn't realize that that was supposed to be intentionally terrible. Like, and it was supposedly it was the rumor is it was based on Pearl Jam's experience, like with the Even Flow video. They tried to make like a jungle themed waterfall oh, wow. video for that, and they did everything in their power to stop that video from coming out. And then supposedly it, um affected their willingness to do music videos in the future. But I do remember that that stupid Do the Evolution one that was all animated. Oh, yeah. yeah but that's, what, that's when, I mean, talk about chasing, uh, I don't know how you put it, but chasing something, lightning in a bottle. They, um, like Pearl Jam, after their first two albums, like, in my opinion, didn't put out a good record, so... <sighs> Yeah, I, I can't I can't front and say I was ever really a big Pearl Jam fan. I mean, I had a copy of Ten, but um, anyway, yeah, back to did. that scene. I mean, I think it was kind of funny how all of Benjamin's pretense about helping her career just ended because he stood too close to her and popped Chubb, which I, I have to ask <laughs> since we both <laughs> since we both expressed how like what we thought about. Uh, Tia Carrera at the peak of her powers. Do you think you could stand four inches away from Tia Carrera in that outfit and not, you know, go from six to midnight? No. I don't like my chances either. So No, yeah. And it's just like the whole package though, like especially that character, like Cassandra, everything about her was very um alluring, charming, attractive. Uh, like she liked nerdy things. Like she's like a, like the perfect woman. Yeah. So yeah, it, it would be it would be it'd be over. Yeah, it was almost like the it's almost like the whole like manic pixie dream girl concept, except that she seemed like she could actually function in real life. Like, yeah, yeah, like she was right. savvy enough to 
you know, in the movies they, and TV shows, they always do this thing where people live in apartments they can't afford and they drive cars they can't afford, like, with the jobs that they've established they have. But, like, in that movie, it was, it was a weird degree of realism. She's in this giant loft. But then she's like, oh, they're having a rent party and they play for free and they provide drinks so they could like they could pay for this giant apartment that she lives in. Right. Um, so, you know. Yeah, it's um, I, I don't I don't know how, how else to put it other than like, you know, un, like when you're in a situation where you're like, I can absolutely not get a boner right now. And then you get a boner <laughs> like. One minute before the bell rings in school, and you're like, "Why is this happening right now?" Or you know, it's just like in those, and then you get it in your head, and then it's just like, "Yeah, yeah." Or just, and maybe that's what happened to Benjamin. He's a bad guy, but maybe he got he got the uh, the the poorly timed boner. Or it could have just been the windows blowing southeast instead of northwest. You just don't know sometimes. <laughs> and, and unless maybe he didn't pop. <laughs> Maybe he didn't pop chub. Maybe it was just the snake crawling on her arm. No, cause I think I think the I I read that scene as the she knew the snake was there, but then there was a second. Oh, I see what you're saying. Somewhere lower, perhaps on the southern end, <laughs> south of the equator. <laughs> so yeah. Oh, yeah. So like you know we 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 talked about okay so. Yeah, they made a bunch of dog shit Saturday Night Live movies because it was like, hey, this one was successful. Blues Brothers was successful too. Um, you not a Blues Brothers fan? No, no, no. I like Blues Brothers. I was just thinking of other ones like Coneheads. I thought was terrible. Oh yeah, I like I was I I I know the number was eleven, and I was just having a hard time thinking of all of them. Like I know the ones I've seen. Like I've seen Stewart Saves His Family, which is terrible. Uh, Night at the Rock. Well, Al, Al Franken. He has to be one of the most insufferable people on earth. So yeah, and he became a senator. So whatever. So but it fits Je- right in. Jesse yeah. Ventura still outranks him, I think. <laughs> um, but like, I guess you know that brings me to my point. It's like you know we talked about you know what made this different from every other Saturday Night Live movie that just crashed and burned. Like, what made this one so different? Do you think it was because it was the first one? Besides, well, besides the well, first one in the of the like kind of more modern age, do you think it was like, I, like what else? Like, I think genre and just right place, right time. Like, grunge was like scorching hot, and these guys were like these rock and roll sort of grunge guys. Um, I, I think all that kind of factored in, and then they just happened to turn out a, a really funny story that drew in that generation of you know 12 to 20 year old kids or whatever and i think it just it's just struck gold at the right time it just came out at the right time 1992 you know you have nirvana just exploding everywhere kids are getting into that type of music and you see these two guys being funny in this movie and you kind of almost want to be them a little bit it just, it, I just think it worked and it, it hit at the right time. It, and it, in addition to it being a very good movie, I think it just, it was perfect timing for this movie to come out. Like, had it, had they tried this three years ago or five years after, maybe it doesn't work as much. But something about the early '90s and what was going on culturally for kids of that age with that type of music and this, you know, they had that look and stuff. I think that's, I think that was a big part of it. it and that's just me speculating. Interesting, but. Yeah, I don't know. What do you, I, what do you think? Well, I didn't think about that angle. I just thought more about 
it's good. Don't get me wrong. I didn't mean to be dismissive, but or sound dismissive. But the uh, yeah, well, yeah, come on, man. The I just thought it had a lot more to do. Like the 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 issue, the primary issue, if you're trying to make a sketch concept into a film, is that you have to have a story that carries people through, and you have to ha- you have to create a world outside of the very narrow confines of that sketch. So, for example, you take Wayne's World. Wayne's World is two guys doing a public access show in the one guy's parents' basement. And then they have guests and they make fun of them. That's the whole that's the whole bit. Um you know, and their banter and all that. Right. In this movie, just the way they were able to, you know, they created a pretty like I know I I know it's a kind of common thing to rail about like with the love interest, but they created a really dynamic love interest. They they had a, a an interesting antagonist who was also very funny. And it was also just the bit players. Like you mentioned Ed O'Neill as the as the <laughs> as the Stan Makita's manager, Glenn, just like almost stealing every seed he's in with his nonsense. Absolutely. Or Absolutely. you know, you've got the cop the, the who's all like the cop who for some reason has a fixation on giving cavity searches. And then um <laughs> you have the guys who work on the show who they don't even really give their names except for Terry, who loves everybody, and then like um Mike, Mike Deloise played this guy named Alan, who was uh, that was the one who was hitting on Mrs. Vanderhoff. Yeah, <laughs> and I th- I think yeah. I li- I liked his chances. Uh, yes, <laughs> yeah, me too. Michael Deloise, who I I always remember as Andy Sipowitz Jr. from NYPD Blue, but some of some of you might remember as the villain from Encino Man. And uh, yes, and then yes. Uh, you know just <laughs> you know just like some of the. Just the the random weirdness they would interject, like that scene where you know we talked about some of the Terminator Two connections. So, inter- there was supposedly a thing where Garth was building a robot to kill Benjamin, and there's that scene where Benjamin comes out. He's like, "Hey, buddy, like, what are you like? Like, this is what he said, but like his attitude was like, "Hey, buddy, like, what are you doing?" And then, <laughs> or he's asking about changes to the show, and he's just like. We fear change, and the hand comes, and he just starts fucking hitting it with a hammer, <laughs> and it, and like, and that was a callback to an earlier scene where the soundboard is fucking up, and the one dude starts wailing on it with a hammer, and it's like that's yeah. a very effective, like physical sight gag. But I guess the point is, is that they took this concept and like, outside of the one show at the beginning. And the one show with Noah, where or with the Vanderhoff guy, where everything went off the rails, they didn't do anything about the show anymore. It was like they were just doing their shtick in the world. It was like people knew them from doing the show, and it. I think that's, in my opinion, that's like what made it a lot more successful than these other movies, where you have a really thin premise and you're trying to build a movie around it. Like around just that, yeah. yeah. Like would like Stewart saves his family. Like that movie was about a self help coach from a completely dysfunctional family, and then they the whole so that world building was around a dysfunctional family. It's like oh, this is fun while watching uh right watching Al Franken make jokes about how his father drinks a quart of whiskey every day. <laughs> right, <laughs> what right. The fuck? But you know this movie, there were so many like little things that made it enjoyable. And I guess, you know, we always like to give more credit to the writers than they get in reality. And that has to come from the writing. And Mike Myers was part of that whole thing. 
I don't know how much of that had to do with the Turner couple, the the Turners, but right. I'm sure judging from their work on television and other films, probably a significant amount. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, I think that's a good take. I agree with that. I think maybe a mixture of both of the reasons we gave, but like like I said before, that's why you got to give this movie credit because you know Wayne's World as the skit is just this linear, very repetitive formula that they would do every week. And the fact that they made Wayne's World real in the movie, it was almost kind of like, now we get this, oh, we get to see what these guys' lives are outside of what they do. It wasn't that the skit is the movie. So I think you're, I think that is very true because all I'm looking at now all the list, the list of all the movies, and we only missed two. We talked, we mentioned all of them. Blues Brothers 2000. Ugh. Crap. And then uh, the ladies' man, which uh, I don't know that I've actually seen. I I thought the skit was funny because I like Tim Meadows, but I don't know how good of a movie it was. It was not good. Oh well, that makes it sense. does have Hillary from the Fresh Prince in it. If you're, does it also have Carmen Electra? I don't remember if she was in it or not. I think she makes an appearance. I just remember that Karen Parsons was in it. I just feel like I wanted Carmen Electra to be in everything during that time. <laughs> Who didn't? Right. Um, her, yeah, yes. her and her and Tia Carrere. Let's put them in everything. <laughs> everything yeah that, but, don't think that's not the reason why you haven't watched starsky and hutch three times <laughs> are you kidding me right now <laughs> or or the kind of like why i watch the nanny on repeat are you serious does the missus ever catch you watching the nanny not in that way <laughs> well just in general i bet I wasn't. no no not really i, no, I not wasn't really. even and, and, I wasn't even going with the clown punching angle. I was just going. <laughs> <laughs> no, and to be fair, I haven't watched the nanny in some time, so I may need I may need to revisit. Mm. But uh, we're not here to talk about the lovely Fran Drescher. We are here to talk about Wayne's World, and <laughs> yeah. Uh, so in terms of iconic scenes, you know, we talked about or big scenes in the movie. We talked about the the a lot of the big ones, especially you know Bohemian Rhapsody, and. Uh, you know, we'll probably get to the ending, the multiple endings, uh, toward maybe towards the end of this chat here. Mm. But I think another big one is the whole nightclub thing when they first go to and they discover her. And you know, Garth has that funny bit where he electrocutes the guy who won't let him through. Uh, excuse me, I'd like to get by now. Um, and I feel like that that whole scene was very big as well. Wayne goes up to the roof, and Stacy's there trying to make him jealous with this guy. She falls through the glass, <laughs> and he's talking in Cantonese. Like it's such a busy, yeah. busy scene. And Tia T- Carrere kicks that guy in the face. <laughs> like it's just like it's a very like there's a lot going on in that scene, and it almost you you almost as the viewer like I I I want to be there. Yeah, I, I, I wish I was there. That that's that seems like a fun night. I, yeah. I wish I was there. It, the, you know what I mean? Yeah, that movie. You you, uh, you you said basically said a lot of the same things about. Well, just one of the same things about. Like they they managed to create these spots like Stan Makita's and Gasworks. It's like I wish there were places like that that I could go to, but yeah. there just aren't. Like even before all this nonsense with lockdowns and bars and restaurants shutting down temporarily, maybe forever. I mean, like. Where are you going to find, like, a big, awesome metal bar like that outside of, like, a movie? Unless, I know. Unless you live in, like, a huge city. But even then, it's like, I don't know. Right. Or, like, a, you know, a giant restaurant with, that has, like, 300 seats and all they serve is donuts and coffee. And they have a they have some inexplicably hot, like, kind of older woman working there. Uh, right. Who's Gar's dream woman, who is also Dan Aykroyd's wife in real life. 
to this day? I think they're still married, yeah. Donna Dixon and uh, Dan Aykroyd. Right? They, they met wait, wait, on the wait. set of Dr. Detroit, which is oh, a pr- pretty notorious flop. I've never seen it, but I heard it's... Uh, I think I know it from that feature that used to be on the... Uh, AV Club, My World of Flops. They talked about Dr. Detroit, I think. Well, but as you know from our Ghostbusters episode, I'm not the hugest Aykroyd fan, but um, that's all right. I don't know what her problem is. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I I think also another aspect of it that we haven't really talked about that yet that we kind of should, um, that maybe makes me feel like, you know, you're a part of that is the fact that it's filmed in this like documentary sort of way where Wayne is breaking the fourth wall and talking to us um, and almost doing that thing like Mr. Rogers would do where he's talking to you and waiting for you to respond yeah. and like making kids feel like he's a part of it. Like when Wayne has his meltdown and we as the audience start walking away and he's like, no, 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 no. It's okay. It's okay. Everything's going to be okay. Uh, I-, I thought that was uh, clever choice, and I don't know if that's their way to keep the connectivity of Wayne talking to the audience on the sketch, but um, I thought it was I thought it was interesting. I don't know if other movies back then did that sort of thing. I can't think of an example. Um, I know it's things of I'm, I'm sure I've seen like Ferris other Bueller's do Day that. Off. That's a great one. Okay, yes, that's a perfect example. Yeah. yeah. So, and I'm not a big Ferris Bueller's Day Off fan. I know, like, that's blasphemous because everyone thinks it's one of the greatest comedies of all time. I think, like, once they, like, bust out and go do things, that movie gets bad. Hmm. I like the whole lead up with the Rooney and the Hmm. Ruse and all that stuff. But anyway. Well, uh, yeah, Ferris Bueller was weird because I saw the TV show first. Which was like, oh god, yeah, and then uh, then when I saw the movie, like it just kind of completely ruined it for me because they they tried to cash in on all these bits from the movie, but they did it with like like under completely different circumstances. It was bizarre, um, mm-hmm. but uh, yeah, the you know now that I think you know I mentioned the whole that's what she said, you know, got it got co opted by the office, you know, the office did the whole documentary thing too. Yep, I mean they they that's took it point. a little further, but it's like now now it's making me think like I. Did Michael Shore just like take a lot of cue- like cues from this movie, and it kind of influenced a lot, like a lot of his work going forward? I don't know. It's, it's like that's two things that I randomly thought of that <laughs> that tie this movie to The Office. And were Wayne and Garth the only ones aware of the audience? Right, no one else had that moment. Right. Oh, uh, Glenn talked to the camera, and then uh, the, oh, oh, right, and- <laughs> yes, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, because they follow him, and Wayne's like, where'd you guys go? Yeah. I'd never done yeah. a crazy thing in my life before that night. <laughs> All right. Oh, my, yeah, maybe I'm thinking, because my favorite Glenn part is when he's talking to that guy, that, that character actor we were talking about. He's like, I know what you'd like to do. <laughs> he'd like to reach into his chest and rip out his still-beating heart and hold it in front of his face <laughs> before he dies <laughs> so, so he can see how black it is. And the guy's oh, like, God. I actually like the follow-up, too, where the guy goes, oh, I was actually <laughs> thinking about filing agreements with the union. He goes, well, the world's a twisted place. And he just walks away. <laughs> <laughs> so good. Yeah, I mean, so it's, it's stuff like like this. The movie is loaded with little moments like that that make it worth watching, even when Wayne and Garth aren't on screen, and they're supposedly supposed to be driving it. Especially when you're revisiting it when you're you know one foot in the grave, and the the all the Mike Myers shtick isn't hitting the way it did in the '90s. Like the catchphrases, yeah. yeah. the delivery almost none of it was working for me. Like, the only Mike Myers moments that were really working for me as an adult 
were when it was the more subtle stuff like some of the looks he would give when like things would happen that weren't as pronounced and I, I still do love the whole we don't bow to corporate sponsors meta that is good. meta bit where it yellow just re- different <laughs> ah newprint little yellow different <laughs> but th- but again that 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 feeds into your point about yeah. who the fuck remembers Nuprin? They discontinued that stuff like 25 years ago. Exactly. <laughs> yep. You're right. I right. mean, and Reebok, I rem- like, who the fuck wears Reebok now? <laughs> Cro- Crossfitters. Nobody. Crossfitters wear yeah. it. Um. Yeah. Well, yeah, those assholes wear Asics now, too. <laughs> I Crossfitters. <laughs> Oh man! <laughs> good luck having good luck having all that uh, arthritis and bone problems when you're 50. Yeah, I'm I'm really not looking to get snapped in half. Uh, <laughs> doing a doing those. Sometimes I walk down the stairs and I'm afraid I'm going to shatter my ankle. Yeah. Let alone doing CrossFit. They basically took Clubber Lang's workout routine from Rocky Three, and they're charging people like $300 a month to do it. Like, just yeah. working out in a dingy basement with just shit that's laying around. What a scam. Indeed. Indeed. But, but uh, yeah, anyway. so what were we just talking about? Well, we went from talking about the documentary style, how you thought that brought people into the movie. Yes. And then we started talking about how other people got involved with the camera, and then somehow uh, we were, oh, the the corporate sponsorship uh yeah, and, uh, yeah scene. The, and then that made me take a CrossFit. Yeah, the, I mean, the, and there's some stuff that does work, and I don't know if that's current referential, but like the Alice Cooper bit, I thought it was, <clears throat> excuse me, one of the funniest moments Dude, in the movie. Alice Cooper is a certified G. He is he is great to watch in this movie. Like and bonafide stud. <laughs> I didn't. How you doing? I didn't realize. Dude. <laughs> you can't teach that. What? You can't teach that. He, uh, you know, like, Alice Cooper does some great music and stuff. I'm not really familiar with a lot of it. You know, he came out of that whole Detroit rock scene. All I was remembering in my head was I was comparing and contrasting his appearance in this movie to when Aerosmith did it in the second one. And it was like, with Aerosmith, it was like Steven Tyler is, you know, great front man, written some great songs. He's not good on camera in the movies I've seen him in. And it was all like how it was even more like what, what kind of bothered me compared to like Alice Cooper in this movie was the fact that Steven Tyler tried to act like he was like the cool celebrity. They're like, Oh, I'm cool. I'm like, no, I would never treat my fans like that. And, and meanwhile, they're doing the whole, we're not worthy. They get Alice Cooper just holds his hand out, like kiss my ring. Like, yeah. <laughs> right, the, right. Did you hear the, yeah. did you read about like how his involvement in the movie, like how they, they sandbagged him a little bit. Oh no, no! Oh yes, yes, yes! You are, you, Wait, let me guess. Did I get the? Let me guess if I get. Let me see if I got this right. Okay, so tell me if I got this. Yeah, right. man, absolutely. Uh, I just turned into Porky fucking Pig for two <laughs> seconds. Sorry. <laughs> um, yeah, jeez, that's all, folks. Um, so he thought he was just going to be a musical act and mm-hmm. have like one line, right? And then they 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 hammer him with a with a quint monologue like in Jaws. <sighs> Yeah, they, that's that's pretty much exactly how it went, and, and he nailed it. He fucking crushed it. Yeah, he said it did it in two takes, and then uh, <laughs> what the Algonquin call the good land. <laughs> so I, good. I also, Millie, Millie Walke. <laughs> He's seeing Alice Cooper say Millie Walke. 
I also think Milwaukee is, is, is fascinating because the only American city to elect three socialist mayors. Does this guy know how to party or what? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it was... Yeah, it, it, I, like, I, I can't put a finger on it. It was just like... He, he, and then supposedly there was a scene where um, they kept rolling and when they were doing the we're not worthy thing, they were trying to break him. They were trying to get him to laugh on camera and he wouldn't do it. And it went, he said it went on for five or six minutes and then it got really, really bad. But he said, he, he was like, he kind of played it up like, I, oh, well they weren't, you know, they weren't going to break my iron will or something like that. Like, but he said, if somebody has that, that footage somewhere, it's gold. Like he, uh, I, like he said, Alice- you know, go ahead. No, go ahead. I, I was just gonna say he he said it was like really, really, really funny, and he just didn't laugh out of spite because he like, he knew that's what the two the you know the two made guys were trying to get him to do, and he just wouldn't uh, do it. I, I like that because that means he 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 was into what was going on. You know, he he wasn't you know he wasn't annoyed to be there or anything. And he you know Alice Cooper is he's seventy three now, which means he was forty four when he did that movie. But like Alice Cooper, just like he's one of those guys, he was like always old. It feels like wasn't he a teacher? He was an English. I think it was some. I think it was something like that. He was like an he was English like a, teacher or history teacher or something, and he had like a like a band on the side, and got yeah. really. Fa- I, yeah, I should have looked into that. I, I yeah, that, I think that's that's kind of what the case was, and you know, I know he was like he doesn't like Marilyn Manson because he feels like he ripped his bit. Um, but he does like Rob Zombie because he feels like he did it right or whatever. But anyway, he uh, something about Alice Cooper is just so funny because he's you know, his music is very theatrical and obviously over the top and has its uh, certain vibe. But then he's also just like this well-spoken, well-educated guy. Obviously, a teacher. He's a, a an avid golfer. Yeah, like it's just like you know, not like it's it's all just like that's my job and that's what i do but i don't live like i'm not glenn danzig where you move next to me and, and uh your lawn dies like <laughs> I, I don't lit like that i think there was a a bit that uh, dave grohl had said someone said you move <laughs> next to glenn danzig and your lawn dies um but uh he didn't like live that so and then seeing him in wayne's world is just so cool because maybe a lot of people didn't get to know alice cooper that way until then that he's just kind of like this normal guy. Yeah. Um, and it just, it's just such a funny scene to me. And I still to this day, you know, I, I just get such a kick out of it. I think it's such a well done scene. Yeah. And it's cool that they used a more, uh, like a newer song of his because they were originally going to have him play either Schools Out or 18, which. Oh, uh, that would have made sense. Almost yeah. everybody knows. But um, <clears throat> his manager convinced Mike Myers and Lauren Michaels and all those people. He convinced them to use this newer song. And then uh, Mike Myers actually ended up making a documentary about that guy because he thought he was such an interesting, captivating, charismatic guy. He, I think it's called uh, Supermensch or something like that. It's about Alice Cooper's manager. Uh, so <laughs> I, I haven't seen that, but I'm, I might look into it now because um, I was interested in how that... Because like, I only know a handful of Alice Cooper songs. I definitely didn't know that one, especially when I was 10 years old. And especially that scene was supposed to be a lot more star-studded, like Nick, like because when the when the when the when the track was made, like Nikki Six played bass on it from Motley Crue, uh, 
the chick who played Elvira sang like backing vocals and Cassandra then, Peterson. Yeah, yep. And then Steve Vai and Joe Satriani, who are these two virtuoso guitar players, were involved with it too. And they were supposed to be in the movie, but of course they all had scheduling conflicts of some kind. Whether or not those are, you know, scheduling conflicts, legitimate, or if they're just a catch-all excuse to not... Or not interested. Yeah, yeah. For not, yeah, exactly. Not being interested in something like that. But um, I think the, the last thing for me on that scene is, and maybe one of the more understated funny parts, is when one of the other band members brings out a factoid, and he's like... And Alice, like, acknowledges yeah, it or something. It, yeah. It, yeah, I think it was... He said, yeah, he goes, is it Algonquin, an Indian name? Yes, Pete, it is. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, uh, it's, so, it's just so funny that like they're not backstage doing coke and banging hookers. They're they're talking about Milwaukee and the origins. Yeah, yeah, talking about the histor the historical context of the founding. It's of the just city so of funny. Uh, it's just such a clever idea and such a well done scene. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's just the kind of which kind of does that lead into the Farley scene or am I? No, what they took, they were trying to get backstage and they took a wrong turn and they ended up outside. And then that's when they ran into the overly helpful security guard. Wait, another funny bit. Yeah. Like, is it me or is that guy know a lot of information for a security guard or something like that, right? <laughs> like, and he does like the Chris Farley thing where he puts his arms up together and does the Matt Foley thing. And it's just, you know, again, Chris Farley, like, I, I would have loved another two decades of Chris Farley. Yeah. You know? But. Yeah, you know he was supposed to do the Shrek voice. Yes, yeah, the, yeah. So Weird they connection have, with this movie. There's yeah. a rough cut of him doing it, right? Someone floating around. I haven't seen it. I'll have to check that out. But I think it's bopping around somewhere with like um, loose animation. Um, but yeah, then Mike Myers did it uh, again, just bringing out his typical Scottish accent. Yeah, people go for that, that thing though, for sure. Used many a time. Yeah, I mean, I thought Fat Bastard was hilarious at the time. So, um, no, but uh, I don't know. Other scenes, are there scenes that we haven't touched on that we're gonna hate ourselves for not talking about? Mm, I mean, well, I mean the end, the ending, the the. Oh yeah, yeah. The, the 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 just take just completely try to take the piss out of the whole test screening process. That's all the yeah. That's I, I didn't really like how they redid it in Wayne's World too. I thought it was a little little gimmicky. Like if if they would have come up with a new idea or something, but I in this movie I thought it was pretty funny, you know, because yeah, and then, I, I agree, I agree. And then once you get the context that it's just making fun of the whole process of making movies, it's like, oh, if you guys don't like if if that if that ending's not gonna make us money, let's let's do another one. <laughs> right, diddly, diddly. Mm. yeah, I, I I thought the ending was pretty funny. So, um. Uh, Mike Myers, so he, I'm just trying to think of how this all works out because then they make the sequel and he forces the director out. But if you compare the two movies, this one, I mean, I'm directing a Wayne's World movie, but I mean, this one had a better flow. Uh, it had uh, a more interesting shots, mm. more iconic moments. Like it, it's a comedy classic. And the second one, like if, if I told you who the name of the director was... I would be shocked if you knew who he was, let alone could name one movie the guy did, and that's just all you need to know. Yeah. So, and that's that. That's more proof to your point of Mike Myers, kind of uh, the rift he had with the director that you brought up earlier. Yeah, yeah, and they, they all worked it out like twenty, of course, twenty years yeah. after the fact or something. But yeah, you know, it, it it is kind of a it's one of those like wasted potential things. Like, what if they had just all 
were able to kind of put everything aside and do like a Wayne's World two or maybe a Wayne's World three, you know. Yeah, I mean, there were there, and it's too too late for that now. They course, were talking but... about doing a Wayne's World three like twenty seventeen or something. What? Yeah, I mean, they it's well, you, usually that's your job is to tell me about some really bad i some sequel that's a terrible fucking idea where everybody's too old, and then I'm like, what? <laughs> But well, he he, I I believe him and Jay Roach are still trying to workshop an Austin Powers for. Oh fuck off with that! I <laughs> I like Goldmember, and I say fuck that. Like, yeah, you do like Goldmember. You do too. You just won't fucking admit it. Eat <laughs> shit. <laughs> yeah, why don't fuck you, off? Why don't Why don't you quote it like six or eight more times in a row and then talk about how much you fucking hate it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, oh, um, mercy. There, yeah, the, the, the one other thing I was going to bring up, mm. you know, we haven't really stepped outside of its cultural impact mm. or uh, step into its cultural impact, but the, so there's a lot of pairings that are very similar to Wayne and Garth. And, you know, obviously you have Bill and Ted, which came before Wayne and Garth, um, mm. at least theatrically. Um, I'm not sure if the skit, of Wayne's World came out before Bill and Ted or not. Um, I, I, would, I would think it didn't. And then you have Beavis and Butthead. You know, there's a lot of similar pairings in that, like, rock sort of uh, metal deal. And I, I don't know, was it, like, if if Wayne's World did come out after Bill and Ted, and we know the movie did. I don't know if the skit did. Did it, like, was there any flack? Like, oh, you ripped off this, or you ripped off so-and-so. I'm not sure, man. I um, Bill... there's a lot of that similar vernacular, like dude and excellent, and you yeah. Know what I mean? Well, I th- yeah, I think that's more of just a that was kind of the I don't know that that was the that was the popular culture at the time. Like that was what the cool young kids were saying and how they were acting and how they were dressing, the music they were listening to, that kind of thing. Um, yeah, that's fair. Bill and Ted came out in '89. So I don't think they were doing Wade's World sketches in 89 or or 88 or whenever the script was written. And then the... Interesting. Interesting. Though he had the Wayne character for a while. As I said, he had showed up in something in like 1987. It wasn't widely watched. I don't even think he was a part of SNL yet at the time. So Yeah, he was doing it. He in may sec- have used that to like hit part of his audition or something. Yeah, he was doing it in Second City too, I think. Because he was in... That, oh, that, that makes sense. That's the whole Chicago connection. Is the, oh, you know, the famous second gotcha. second city uh, improv troupe? He was involved with them, and then he made this character that was in a suburb of Chicago. And um, yeah, it's a you know like for people who aren't aware, that's a very well known improv troupe. It's like where Tina Fey came from, and a lot of really famous uh, ah, Saturday Live performers yes. came from there. That, but, that does um, yeah. Bill Murray was on there. Oh yeah. Huh. Yep, he's a big Chicago guy. Um, oh, that's interesting. Interesting. Any other things that uh, you think of in terms of uh, the impact of Wayne's World? No, well, um, I, I mentioned that this was just this was like the this is peaking too early, essentially for the Saturday Night Live film universe. That, that I, I think McGruber was the last time they tried to make one of their sketches into a movie. I, I think now they're more just doing the digital short stuff. It's a little more... Which, which seemed to be working for them. Yeah, and it's... It, I mean, it was a lot more... I think it was a lot higher quality when Andy Samberg was still doing them. But... Um, yes, yeah. The... Uh, yeah, those could still be pretty funny, though. The, but the, And they're a lot lower risk 
kind of higher reward, I guess, because you're not committing to a feature film. Um, yeah, that was my, you know, the movies, you know, as far as uh, long-term, um, co- like, kind of cultural impact or, re- or relevance, I mean, we mentioned it earlier at the beginning of the show, there's still, people still want to see Wayne and Garth. It's weird, but they do, like, you know, like you said, you like seeing those Uber Eats commercials, even though they're noticeably older, and Mike Myers especially has really put on a lot of weight, and, uh, you know, they don't look like they did 30 years ago. I mean, I don't think any of us will, so that's not really a fair criticism, but... No, yeah. (laughs) The, you know, um, you know, Tia Carrere was saying in this interview that people still see her on the street, and they drop, and they go, we're not worthy to her. They still... That's amazing. They still do that, after all, and the funny thing is, like, that's one of the funny things, though, is like when the way a fandom kind of creates their own thing because that scene that didn't involve her at all. No, but it's nope. just something they do to be like, "Hey, we." It's like fans just saying, "We really enjoy this movie and we recognize you from it." So this is what we're gonna do. Like they don't even try to like quote any of her lines or anything, or yeah. um, you know, talk about how how awesome Crucial Taunt was, or anything like that. But. Um, I don't know. I mean, like the, you know, they made a sequel. We 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 touched on it a little bit. Um, I think I think the sequel was a little. Like, you know, it definitely wasn't as good as the first one. But I think for a comedy sequel, especially, it was pretty strong. Because as we've talked about a few times on on this program, comedy sequels can really go sideways in a hurry. Oh, absolutely. Because you're just you're just resetting the same bits and just running them into the ground and turning the volume up and it's and you're like you're essentially ruining them you're taking a lot of what made whatever made people laugh initially and you're just beating it into the ground so gold member you fucking love gold member <laughs> stop it <laughs> just stop it but oh uh, are you are, are you a a mike myers fan would you say you're a mike myers fan I would say I was until I mean his his career is just you know it it's funny because he he did these two movies and then he did So I Married an Axe Murderer like he did these all really close together and So I Married an Axe Murderer I put it in the uh, in the file with movies like Full Metal Jacket where the first half is just so superior to the second half. Yeah, I mean, there's still some funny stuff that happened in So I Married Nagsburg, but most of the comedy was in the first 40 minutes of that movie. Um, yeah, that's true. I, I mean, the funniest part is the, the, him, the old man yelling at the kid <laughs> about his head. Like, that's still so... And whatever... I, I, that kid grew up to be an actor. He's been something. Oh, really? Interesting. Yeah. I did not he, know that. He, I think he played... Yeah, he's been in a bunch of things. He played, like, Angel in, like, uh, X-Men Last Stand. And he's was been, it Ben, ben Foster? Foster? Ben Foster, I think that's that ben was Foster. Ben Foster in that movie. Oh no, wait, wait, hold on. It might not be Ben Foster. I may have lied. It actually, wait, it's either Ben Foster or the kid from like the Mighty Ducks movie with the glasses. Uh, I don't know him. I do not know him. But uh, all right, let me find out if it's Ben Foster. Go talk about something. Well, I was I was gonna keep going on about you know the, I like the Austin Powers movies generally speaking, um, and then he did the Love Guru, and it was like his career kind of it just kind of got derailed by that because the love guru was so reviled by critics and audiences. And there was also, I forgot that he did that live action cat in the hat movie, which was in 2004. And he basically did that because 
he backed out of a deal to do a movie about the Sprocket sketch. And the studio oh. was pissed off. And he said, well, I'll do another. I think it was Universal. He's like, I'll do another movie. And they're like, we want to do a live action Cat in the Hat movie. So it's not out of the realm of possibility that he kind of shaved points on that one. Or kind of phoned <laughs> that performance in. Or oh. went way Damn. too over the top. It was the kid from Mighty Ducks. The kid who plays Averman in Mighty Ducks. Oh, cool. It was not Ben Foster. Well, you got it on the second try. That's not bad. I did get it on the second try. I'll take the mulligan, <laughs> but without looking it up, I got it that it was the kid with the glasses from Mighty Ducks who played Heed. <laughs> um, no, yeah. I mean, you, you you make good points, and you know, I kind of agree with you on Mike Myers. I love, love the first two Austin Powers movies. Um, I, I think we should absolutely do at least the first Austin Powers movie, because I think that's one of my favorite comedies of all time. Wow. I, I think that movie holds up so well for me. It's and Because it's past the point of the overdone with the Yeah Baby stuff, it's funny again. So I'd love to tackle that uh, eventually. I like Mike Myers. Sometimes I think he's a little too, um, I don't know, like obnoxious, maybe yeah. that's the word? Yeah, I... I, um, I I think some of the delivery on some of the Wayne, the catchphrases <clears throat> that, well, I mean, in all fairness, the catchphrase, the reason, a commonly cited reason for his popularity on Saturday Night Live was because he was able to create these characters and then it, like with these catchphrases and fans just kind of glommed onto them. So it's kind of one of those things is like if, if you're running the same play in Madden over and over and over again and it does it just it keeps working why wouldn't you keep doing it hb sweep <laughs> strong student body right that's actually from espn 2k5 or pa boot slide that was another one nice it always worked um but um you know it's just it and then watching this also kind of made me sad about data carby's career because he was so funny in this, and he was so funny on Saturday Night Live, and if you saw his guest spots on Larry Sanders' show, um, which was something I never thought I would ever get into, but with the pandemic, you really started, and the lockdown, you really started expanding your viewing options, because it's like, well, I can't just sit here with my thoughts, I have to consume something, so... <laughs> so yeah, I I do feel bad for him too, man. Yeah, I mean... Because, it's, like... Master of Disguise just like ended his career. Yeah, and it was you know he was in this other movie called Opportunity Knox in the early '90s where he played like a short con operator. And while that movie is pretty well revered uh, among me and my brothers, we enjoyed it growing up. I mean, it's well, it's another one of those movies that I like, but it isn't good. Like I can't, yeah, I can't go to bat for it. But it's like I kind of enjoy parts of it, and yeah, but uh, yeah. yeah, it's. And then he had the you know the talk show that flamed out and right you know now yeah. you know now he's like kind of just you know he does stand up I think his stand up still solid for, like, for I haven't seen oh that. the chopping broccoli is so good yeah or when he does the when he did the bit it was uh when he was doing his breakdown of the OJ trial which I think was like close to half of his routine at that time <laughs> and he was talking about what guy on that defense team he was talking about like F Lee Bailey. I think, and he was talking about how he would just be like cross-examining these defense witnesses, and he would he would ask him like if they shampooed their hair, and he's or something that morning, and he's like, "Well, I think," and he's like, "Well, did you use conditioner?" And he's like, "No." And he's like, so there you were handling crucial evidence with dry split ends. 
<laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know why. Uh, and then, you know, we talked about Tia Carrere, how she, you know, it, she's, she seems a lot more obscure, I think, to the more casual. I mean, I, I had a, like, I had a hard time thinking of things she'd been in recently. But then, you know, she... Oh, me too. You know, but yeah. she'd been... You know, she went back to her roots, was doing Hawaiian music and stuff. And then, you know, you got... Then you got Rob Lowe, who, you know, was just a... It, it's just so funny that this was, like, his first foray into comedy. And it's like, that's basically what he's known for. That Well, that in the West Wing. But... Right. And he's... You know, you got me thinking about him in uh, Austin Powers too, like how how great his his Robert Wagner impression was. What he's oh like. yeah, and selling, getting hit in the face with the the ball, like the globe. <laughs> yeah. so so funny. Yeah, but um, yeah, I mean, I'm like I, I mean, we're you, l- l- let me ask you an honest question. Mm. Do you think in preparation for this for the role of number two in Austin Powers, do you think Rob Lowe uh, killed a woman and threw her off the side of a boat? Oh, the Christopher Walken will know for sure. Yeah. And, you know, I apologize to probably a lot of our audience who may not pick up on that uh, historical reference, which is that Robert Wagner probably killed Natalie Wood, better known as uh, the little girl from Miracle on 34th Street, um, among other things. Didn't they bring up fresh charges on that? Like they're trying to pursue it again? I think so. Is Robert Wagner still alive? I think he is. I think he is, but um, so then, so then, they, then they should make an Austin Powers four, so he can pay for his defense uh, budget. <laughs> just a ninety-year-old number two. He's ninety-one. Oh man, I was pretty close. Man. So he was, yeah. I mean, when he played number two originally, he was already in his late sixties. That dude, that dude knew Jesus when he was in short pants. <laughs> yeah. um, oh so i think we're we're running the well dry here we, yeah i, I mean we got we, we, really we were talking about we were trying to talk about the cultural relevance of the movie which is it we don't really have a fixed structure obviously but that's kind of like where i like to wrap yeah. up but i mean i think yeah. this this movie is uh you know i like i said i obviously i have a great affinity for it so do you it's a very enjoyable yeah. comedy yeah. and I think the main it, the, it introduced us all to Ugly Kid Joe, which we have to be thankful for. Yeah, we didn't really talk about the soundtrack at all. Let's uh, let's spend a few minutes. Just on a it. few minutes, just a little bit, because they just a little, little bit. The soundtrack bit. was loaded because I was in. I was just thinking about also the songs that they used. You know, you had to suspend disbelief a little bit because they 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 didn't want to write original songs for Crucial Taunt, so it's like all covers, right? And um, I think a lot of people know the Jimi Hendrix song at the beginning and yep, then uh, fire and then uh you know ballroom blitz at the end but the two songs in the middle were super obscure like the one that was um why you want to break my heart was done by this guy named Dwight Twilley in the in like 1984 and then that touch me song that she was singing was by this band called Private Life that apparently Eddie Van Halen was producing he was like he that was like a band he tried to launch and they did like oh, two wow. albums but um at, i mean have you heard of them before i just mentioned them 20 no. seconds ago all right so nope. i guess they're probably like i said i i kind of defer to your knowledge of like music and stuff like that and so if you haven't heard of them then then yeah i i would guess that i feel like you know just as much as i do about eh, music though but you're being kind <clears throat> you're being um kind. I mean, I didn't. Um, I didn't know. Uh, I didn't know. Still of the night at your bachelor party. Well, there you have it. 
I was like, this song. Nothing. I was like, this song is great. What is this? It's like, it's still in the night by White Snake. You ever heard this? I'm like, nope. <laughs> yeah, but that that happens, you know. <laughs> uh, so yeah, Ugly Kid Joe when they go into the donut shop. Uh, everything, everything about you is catchy little song by. Uh, and that's the scene band. with Stacy, which yes, oh, I forgot to mention that the gun rack. We didn't talk about the gun yeah, rack. Yeah, that bit, that but... happened to Mike Myers in real life. That which is amazing. <laughs> His, his his he this girl broke up with him because supposedly he was too fixated on comedy and then a week later she changed her mind and gave him a gun rack as a present <laughs> which you know what now that you now that you mention that dude I think my favorite parts about Wayne is when he's a dick to people <laughs> he's like he is relentless when he's like going at like at her yeah and he he goes what am, first of all saying what am I gonna do with this and then then he goes are you mental? <laughs> I've lost you six months ago. Get the net. I always, uh, th- there's a few lines from Wade's world. I didn't even realize that I use so regularly. And like, Wh- like one of them is they? like, if something cool happens, I'll be like, Oh, party bonus. Or like, <laughs> or if somebody is like, Hey Mike, I got something for you. I'll be like, if it's a severed head, I'm going to be very upset. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know. I mean, a lot of the, a lot of the lines and stuff have really stuck with me all this time. But anyway, I mean, do you have any, anything from the movie like that? That kind of, I, I think I've tossed out a get the net. If people don't understand what I'm trying to get at uh, and um, what, whether or not they pick up on it or not, I never like mention it. But if they ever do get it, you feel like that bond with someone. So anytime you do like a deep cut on something and people get it, you, there's just this like satisfaction that overflows me. Um, but and, and I will and I know you're kind of the same way. Well, you'll, you'll toss out a deep cut and see if anyone bites the bait. And if they don't, they don't. We move along. You just said something that's out there. Yeah, and you, it's, just, it, you just threw out a, it, it, a non sequitur. Yeah, it's it's, it's a tied to absolutely nothing in terms of, to the lay person. But um no yeah so ugly kid joe uh in the coffee shop uh obviously you had alice cooper feed my frankenstein uh what else were we were uh, black here? sabbath and the t-1000 scene yes yes black sabbath oh no let's give a nod to uh yes you are wearing a black sabbath t-shirt well done <laughs> on purpose i assume yeah uh, i wanted to wear something that was kind of related to the movie i could have just worn a plain black t-shirt um, but, uh, yeah. I have this black Sabbath shirt from the 1998 last supper tour when they told everybody, this is the last time we're ever going to go on tour. And I fell for it. Cause I was a dumb 16 year old kid. Sharon Osbourne needed a new chest. So, <laughs> which is probably partially true. Yeah. Um, but, uh, what, what else we got here? Uh, there's one I just thought of that I just forgot. Uh, uh, my personal favorite is uh, the is the song by Rhino Bucket, which was when he's in the car driving and the and the song is like it's like take a long long ride with yourself or is, no that wasn't from the car scene I don't know what it was but for some reason that song was stuck in my head and I was like what okay. band does that song and it's Rhino Bucket ride with yourself that's <laughs> uh oh um. Dreamweaver, which I guess Gary Wright re-recorded it for Wayne's That's World. right, he did. That's right, I did not mention that, but yeah, he he did do that for the... And such a good scene, because you always think of Cassandra being surrounded by, like, the graphics and stuff. <laughs> yeah. Which is so... Star God, she was, a, she was something else. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there's a bunch of other ones on here. I guess a Temple of a Dog song. I don't know if that was made it into the movie or not. Um, 
Oh, I do have to say though, you brought it up the the why you want to break my heart the that song like that's that, like if that came out that that would have been a hit I think like if that was a genuinely put out song like with it, her catchy. singing it. Yes. Oh well, it came out with a dude singing it like nobody ever heard of it. So oh, I don't care about that. It would be yeah. <laughs> It has to be T. Carrera, and she's singing it to me and only me. <laughs> oh, Foxy Lady. Yeah. Yeah. So there, there were two. Yeah, a couple of Jimi Hendrix because she plays Fire right at the club. Yep. Jimi Hendrix. Yeah. So yeah, and then you have uh, Garth doing the Foxy Lady thing. Um, Time Machine. Yeah, you said by Black Sabbath. Mm. I guess there's the Chili Peppers song, which I'm not familiar with. This yeah, song. I'm not, I don't know that one either. Sikkim Kaniko? Mm. Anthony Kiedis is a fucking moron. <laughs> I saw them in 2000 with Foo Fighters, and Foo Fighters was the opening band, and they absolutely blew the Chili Peppers off the stage. <laughs> oh, man. I can't hold a tune for, for anything. Wow. That's good. If it wasn't for Flea, that band would have ended in 1987. <laughs> Didn't they bring John Frusciante back at some point? Like, they kicked For the out, seventh time, yes. They brought him back. Mm. All right. Yeah, they're like, John, you on heroin again? <laughs> no. All right, we're gonna go on tour. <laughs> Idiot. He is a fantastic uh, backup vocalist, though. I'll give him that. Yeah, you're, you're very you, you're very big on the uh, using backup vocals to evaluate uh, band members. Hey, it's a big part of a live show. Didn't say there's anything like, wrong with it. Just making an observation. Does Van Halen sound like Van Halen if Michael Anthony's not there? Probably. The answer is no. <laughs> You got Eddie Van Halen's freaking nepotism son on stage doing his best Michael Anthony impression. And how good is you're not it, hitting that, You're not hitting that E string the way Michael Anthony does, ignoring the other three strings on the bass. You idiot. <laughs> what are we doing? Wait, All right. Yeah, okay, so the trade's officially off the rails, uh, and uh, I don't have any... <laughs> Yeah, that might have been the most us that we've been on the podcast when we go on the tangents. So Maybe, yeah, know. possibly, I, I, <laughs> possibly. But um, yeah, that was our that was our Wayne's World program, and uh, we hope you enjoyed it and learned something, as we always do. Um, yes, do you, uh, John, as as is tradition. Uh, how do you want to take us out, buddy? Uh, I'll just say this: winners. Go home and fuck the prom queen. <laughs> no way. No way. Way. Dude, way. my cousin and I were just talking about this movie today, and he said that we he thought we should do it at some point. Yeah, we're doing The Rock next. Fuck yes. This is so fucking, what's the word? Serendipitous or whatever, but yeah. yeah. Fantastic. Yeah, we're doing The Rock. One of my one of the only Michael Bay movies I really love, but I absolutely love this movie. So good, and I can't wait to talk about it. Uh, and as we know, my affinity for Michael Bean will shine through uh, when we talk about this. But yeah, I'm really excited. So um, you clearly dig the picks. I'm, I'm, dude, it, it's just it's always funny when stuff works out like that. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm really on board. That's sweetness, sweetness. We'll, uh... All right, well. Um, oh, go ahead. I was yeah. just going to say, I hope everybody had a great Independence Day weekend. Um, yes. Yeah, we missed uh, saying for people to have a good one. So now we hope in, in retrospect they did. Indeed. Um, hopefully no one blew their fingers off. Or uh, worse. 
like that goalie or, from Columbus. Oh, yeah. Speaking of hockey, like, yeah. Jeez. Awful. Awful. Don't play with mortars. Indeed. Or stay in the hot tub. <laughs> There's a lot of options, but lot rest of options. in peace to that guy. Um, rest in peace to this episode. We're at the end here. So <laughs> thanks to everybody for uh, listening. Uh, like Mike said before, uh, follow us on the social medias. Also, you know, subscribe to your uh, to us on your preferred audio platform, uh, whether that's Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Podbean, uh, Spreaker. <laughs> we're everywhere. Wherever, wherever you get your podcasts. Our, our main hub is hosted via anchor.fm slash just like the movie so you can go there and pick your poison on which app you want to subscribe to but it's free and uh do us a favor if you if you have a moment you know i know it's like one of those oh i gotta physically do something do a copy of the link and text it to a friend who likes movies and uh, help us out because spreading the spreading the word is the way we grow and we really appreciate that so uh and if anyone's listening this late in the game you're a big fan of ours obviously so uh, on this episode, I mean. So we really appreciate you uh, spreading the word and helping us out. It means a great deal to us. And uh, yeah, we'll be back with you uh, in two weeks' time talking about The Rock and little Nick Cage, little Sean Connery. Should be a good time. And uh, the last thing I have to say is um, party on, Mike. Party on, John. All right, now we're out there. Be kind, rewind, relax.